shirt front, Mr. Putin. I tell you what, any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up the day is a bum. <laughs> because I want the to do more. you slowly. If you don't vote for the Liberal National Parties, then Anthony Albanese will be the Prime Minister of Australia. Welcome to Edge of the Election, the Edge of the Crowds Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jackie. And this week, as always, we've got Joel. And of course, after one week off, Rory is back. So how are the two of you tonight? Uh, yeah, doing good. Um, back after the week off. Just going to have one week on, one week off to, to just deal with Peter Dunn as opposition leader. It's really hard on me at the moment. Yeah, but yeah, it's good to have the uh, the OG crew back. um i mean it is always fun it's great to have guests but this is the best combo obviously um and as far as combos are concerned parliament is going to sit for the first time since the election this week um and to no one's surprise or maybe to some people's surprise because parliament is sitting again scott morrison has decided to go on holiday to japan um we don't really know the actual reason as to whether it's really a holiday or whether he's actually doing work. But, I mean, Scott Morrison doing work, I think it's a holiday. Yeah, maybe he's um he's overseas spreading the word of God. That seems to be his new job, isn't it? Goes around to these uh, Pentecostal churches and, and does his thing. Uh, obviously, you know, he's not Prime Minister anymore, so he doesn't have to be there. But, you know, there's only four weeks of sitting in the rest of the year. You would have thought he could at least show up for work once. He's been chucked on the back bench. He's right in the back corner now. So, yeah, I think um, a by-election is only a matter of time in the seat of Cook. I think Scott Morrison's had enough. Yeah, I think Skirmo's tuned out a bit. Um, well, one, one of the more uh, the amusing things about about Parliament sitting is I, I liked uh, I've, I've liked watching the senators have to do their like little like like education. I think it's quite funny that we sort of and we we have to like teach them how to do the senate. I think that's I think that's very cute. So I, I've enjoyed watching some of that. Yeah, I mean, like uni's having its first week back. Parliament's having its first week back. Everyone kind of ditches the first week unless they're a Jaffe. So. I mean, I guess this is just Scott Morrison being a third year rather than a first year. Um, but we are going to hear the independents uh, speak for the first time in Parliament this week as well. It's believed the majority of them are going to speak on Thursday. Um, they'll be setting their agenda for the next couple of years. I'm sure it's more treatory stuff, but they've been fairly good at holding Labor to account so far. Um, so it will be interesting to see if they push just as much during question time and in Parliament. Yeah, I think what will be most interesting is uh, where they fall on the economic stuff. You know, obviously climate is what they're elected on. They're going to push to the left on that issue. But as you said, tree Tories, do they actually believe in kind of what's required to make a massive change in the environment, which is dismantling of capitalism to a degree or are we going to see oh we need tax cuts as the rich people so they can buy more teslas because that'll fix the environment it's i think that's probably unfortunately the way we're going to go down yeah i think we're gonna we can expect some pretty shoddy econ from a lot of these independents um whether they're going to be decent on climate change but i bet they're going to go along with a lot of the uh, the the crappy anti welfare stuff the the you know the anti um the anti broad tax base sort of stuff as well we we can we've seen exactly stable that she tends to vote vote against welfare increases and things in that vein 
Um, so I don't think we can expect anything uh, anything more from these independents. And in fact, most of them are run on a fairly uh, economically right-wing platform. Yeah, the, some of them have identified themselves as social progressives and fiscal conservatives. Um, so we can, yeah, I think it's pretty fair to expect they will, uh, they will be voting in ways that are not amenable to, um, to, 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 the, to the general welfare of, uh, of poor people in this, uh, in, this, in this cycle. Yeah, and we've definitely seen so far that Labor's playing to them more than they're playing to the Greens. They're also talking about, like, being more conservative than what they ordinarily would be on um, economic issues, which I think is frustrating for people that are longtime Labor voters, but also the people that are the Greens slash Labor voters. Um because we expect more from the Workers' Party and they've been a bit bit iffy recently. But the election has officially been archived, which means there's some interesting stats that have come out of it. Uh, it was an 89.7% turnout, which for most countries is high and for Australia is devastatingly low. Um, and the one big thing that has come out that actually isn't that surprising unless you're the Labor um, advertisers, I guess, is that the majority of the Greens votes, it was like 82 point something percent um, preference towards Labor and also the majority of the independents votes preference towards Labor. So, I mean, we already knew because of how the election went that, like, if you voted Greens or Independent, like, Labor was still going to win. But it was really the proof of how the preferences actually ended up flowing. Yeah, definitely. I think that turnout number is obviously not great at all. Like, one in ten people effectively not voting. Uh, yeah, very low numbers, usually around the 90s for us. So we need to um, sort that out. I think that's partly due to, you know, Barnaby Joyce and Scott Morrison being the the two most unpopular leaders of all time going to an election and partly just due to uh, political apathy a little bit, just not engaging with the process. Uh, the one that was interesting for me, those, those independent preferences, as you said, Jackie, usually we'd see those go right wing. Um, you know, the, the independent parties or the smaller parties, One Nations, your UAPs, that kind of thing. You know, yeah, so like anti-vaccine parties, but now we've seen kind of the those centre parties and the left's uh, independence they've kind of risen up and that's where those those votes have gone to labor so even though the labor vote has gone down uh as a percentage of like as a primary vote they still managed to win the election pretty comfortably so that's kind of what i've taken out of it yeah i think this is interesting um because as you said normally the independence would would go right wing um but i think also it's an inter it's interesting because Either. I felt like maybe what had happened was we had a lot of uh, sort of hard hardline liberal voters going uh, independent because they wanted a bit more climate change, but also hardline liberals are very anti-labor. Um, so I expected the preferences to sort of flow, you know, independence, liberals, and not labor. Um, and there probably are a few people who were like that, but I think, yeah, it's just uh, peculiar that, uh, that, that it didn't flow like that this time around. It um, really shows uh, how, how far people moved away from liberals. Yeah, I think that it's also, like, it's indicative of what happened with the Teal Independence. There was so much strategical voting that went on there because that is a big chunk of where Labor lost its preferencing. Um, in Kuyong, they didn't even poll above 10% in the end. So, like, if you look at these seats that have been Liberal strongholds that have flipped to Teal Independence, all the Labor voters essentially went, I am voting for, the, like, us, we're going to lose, let's make sure that the Liberals also lose by voting for this Teal Independent 
or in some cases the Greens because the Greens also stole seats off the Liberals. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think that's. I think it'll be interesting to see if that that kind of um, preference flow continues in the next election or if the independents fall away a little bit and that we get back to a Labor-Liberal normalcy that we've seen for so long. I'm not sure. But, Joel, you went to an interesting event this week, um, tapped into your Irish heritage a little bit. So would you like to talk <laughs> about that with us? Yeah, sure. Um, so on Friday of last week, I attended a talk by Mary Lou McDonald at Trades Hall in Melbourne. Uh, Mary Lou, Lou McDonald, for anyone who doesn't know, is the president of Sinn Féin and the current leader of the opposition in Ireland. And she's currently doing a tour of Australia, essentially, starting off in Perth. Um, then I think, I think it went from Perth to Melbourne and then she's going off elsewhere. Um, yeah, I think maybe Brisbane or something. Um, yeah, she's just doing all, all the capital cities pretty much, um, talking at the, the very, mainly trades halls, I think. Um, yeah, so it sort of went almost like a spare of the moment thing. Um, this, uh, I heard about it on the day and I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll come along. Um, yeah, it was a really good talk, actually. Um, Mary Lou is uh, like, like quite incredibly charismatic. Um, is one of the, um, one of the more like rousing speeches I, I've heard in my lifetime, I think. I mean, it was at Trades Hall, so I uh, had like a good sort of vibe, a nice atmosphere, lots of, you know, blokes in the back uh, yelling, <laughs> yelling response and everything, which is which was a bit of fun um, and you know, quite quite amusing to behold. Um, yeah, and she just talked about stuff like, um, well, um, you know, she's trying to so, you know, curry curry favour from a lot of Irish Australians um, because that's traditionally been a strategy that kind of worked for, for Sinn Féin, um, where like the um, the the Irish. Uh, the Irish diaspora, but I, Mary Lou doesn't like the term diaspora, so she she prefers the term global Irish. So I'll use the global Irish. Um, she believes that the global Irish have historically been more progressive than the um, than the native Irish population. So she believes that's where you should go to carry support, essentially. Um, so she's doing a tour to, to Australia because of that. Um, and uh, of course, uh, this is particularly important because, as we discussed previously on the podcast, um, Sinn Fein is experiencing like some pretty um, unprecedented, or fairly, you know, recently unprecedented uh, electoral success, winning government in Northern Ireland, um, and only being the opposition by like kind of like one seat in um, in, in the Republic. Um, so I think it's looking pretty good for Sinn Fein right now, um, and she's trying to drive that home. Um, and she's she's hopeful. She's hopeful. She uh, she did say that she expects to see a united Ireland by the end of the decade, um, which I don't know. Uh, their, their prospects. Like electorally looking pretty good. I uh, will see if she if they can overcome like that big uh, divide in Ireland. Um, yeah, it could it could be hard to say. Um, yeah, yeah, like, good talk all up. Um, and uh, interesting to see uh, what Mary Lou does from here. Yeah, I, I think by the end of the decade is the way to aim, right? Like potentially they could have uh, government in both countries. What next year? Like that's a possibility. But like aiming for a date 10 years down the road uh, makes a lot more sense just from a, legitim a legitimacy point of view, like being able to show that you can actually uh, run governments in both countries and then being able to bring those together uh, is probably the best way to do it. Did she, she set out any kind of plan for that or was it just a, is that just a lofty goal after getting Yeah, government? not quite. It wasn't much of a strategy speech really. It was more of a, more of a rallying cry speech, I think. 
is it is the idea to fundraise because I know in the past um, there's been plenty of money flow from Australia to this party in the past. I know, uh, interestingly, Dermot Brereton, the footballer, was was caught in a bit of a scandal regarding this back in the eighties. So okay. it's um. Um, yeah, there, there wasn't any explicit mention of fundraising, um, but I know we um, there is an intention to really um, work on starting up like a, an active local branch of Friends of Sinn Féin in Melbourne. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I can understand why in the 80s there would be a scandal for an Australian footballer to be uh, attached to Sinn Féin at all, but in the 2020s, it's a very different time and they've uh, shook off their IRA hang-ups that they previously had um but we might move on to new south wales politics because it's been a bit of a rough week for dominic perite mostly because of john sedoni who was found to be corrupt by icac and when perite asked him to step down which kind of follows along with gladys berejiklian's former policy of if icac says that you're messing around uh, you need to resign and John Sedoni told him to get stuffed and is not stepping down. He isn't even leaving the party, despite the fact that his uh, boss wants him gone. Yeah, I think it's um, an interesting one, right? Like, obviously, Perite only got his job because of the ICAC and uh, Gladys stepping down. So, you know, it's worked for him, I guess. Um, he kind of wants to keep the, you know, there's an election coming up. He wants to keep the party uh above scrutiny and this is not going to help that's for sure uh i don't know what uh what's the duty he's going to get from not stepping down like either way he's in a lot of trouble so i think uh stepping down is probably the best way to go just from a, uh, a political point of view a personal point of view it'll probably just get the spotlight out of off of him a little bit but hey if, if you're going to be corrupt you deserve everything you get yeah well you, you got to wonder what the long-term strategy is it's like are you, are you just hoping people forget about the corruption next election and you, and you, you get in anyway? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the, what the long con is. Um, but yeah, a bit, a bit, a bit weird from, from John, some John Sedoni. It feels very American politics in the sense of no matter how shameless um, some American politicians are, sorry, how shameless some American politicians are, um, in particular Republicans, they can get away with anything. It's the whole Teflon Trump um, attitude of if you if you say you don't care about being accused of being corrupt, you've got a good chance of actually keeping your seat. You've just been like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's not real. It's made up. ICAC is partisan. Like, realistically, he can spin this to his favour. The only problem probably is that Perite is not backing him because Perite is trying to portray himself as a moderate the same way that Frydenberg did. Um, because there's obviously a real fear that they're going to lose this state election, which, I mean, both major parties in New South Wales are a mess at the moment. I don't think it's going to be a particularly good election for either one of them. Yeah, I think a competent opposition would uh, would pounce on this and they would have the Liberal Party on the ropes already uh, ahead of that election. Obviously, the Labor Party in New South Wales is not a competent party. They haven't been for a very long time, so... Uh, who knows what's going to happen there? It's it's all a bit up in the air. Uh, Perite definitely distancing himself, distancing himself from uh, like Scott Morrison and that kind of religious right that exists in in New South Wales. Though obviously, Perite a very religious man himself, but he's just trying to uh, back away a little bit for his own 
to keep his own political career afloat. Yeah, I mean, it's probably probably a good call, I think. Um, that, that was one of the big concerns of Parachet coming in. Uh, people quite worried about him being another sort of religious right-wing nut job. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been uh, like fairly moderate. Uh, I know some people have gotten a bit annoyed at him recently for not being right-wing enough, so <laughs> that's that's probably a sign of that. Um, yeah, so probably probably a good move on his part to to distance himself from Sadoidi and to, to moderate in general. Yeah, I think he just wants to stay premier to have more time away from his kids. Like, he's got, what, 50 kids? Yeah, him and Elon like Musk a break. Are, him and Elon Musk are repopulating the planet between them. But um, because we've mentioned the US a couple of times tonight, um, US Ambassador Caroline, oh, sorry, US Ambassador to Australia, Caroline Kennedy, and we do mean that Kennedy family, uh, is coming to Australia and then heading off to the Solomon Islands uh, in the next coming days, coming weeks, um, which it's more further proof that the relationship between Australia and the United States is strengthening, but also the fact that there is a real focus on what's going on in the Solomon Islands and for both Australia and the US to be repairing this relationship because yes Australia did a lot wrong but like the US also has a part to play in the Solomons reaching out to China as well yeah 100% I think um obviously rising China America wants as much influence in the Pacific uh, as possible and the Solomons is going to be a key part of that and uh, Kennedy coming out is, is just part of that. I think it's it's the smart move. Uh, I would have waited a couple more months just because then you, you get away from the American winter and you get to enjoy an Australian summer. But uh, that's up to up to her. And, um, yeah, Kennedy, big name, celebrity name. So uh, should be good uh, while she's out here. And the thing for me is if we're going to, like, Anthony Sinodinas is currently the, the ambassador to the US for us. Uh, Kevin Rudd's name's obviously been floating about a long time. I think that might be the way the Labor Party goes once that post is up in a couple. Uh, I think it's at the end of the year. So, yeah, Kevin Rudd could have a new job. Yeah, I reckon the, the big thing here is just it feels like an acknowledgement of the Solomon Islands. And I think that's that, that's been something that they wanted. They wanted to feel, like, respected and uh, but not, like, they all, like, forgotten in terms of, like, foreign, uh, foreign decision-making. Um, and hopefully this will do something to alleviate that. Um, sending, sending a big name ambassador to the Solomon Islands. Um, yeah, should 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 be seems like a, like a decent move. Um, and hopefully that, yeah, we can bring the Solomon Islands uh, even even further back into our fold. Yeah, I also think that like speak like touching on the Rudd potentially becoming ambassador to the US. Um, that's probably a good thing for this Labor government to just not have Rudd uh, arcing up and talking all the time and essentially just annoying news corp into them writing more bad stories about labor because you know that's what rudd kind of does um and while it helped i think a little bit during this past election campaign i don't think it was the be all and end all and if you do it in the middle of labor's term it could really just start like constant dogpiling by news corp yeah i think um yeah, keeping Kevin Rudd quiet is uh, definitely the goal of the Labor Party at the moment. Um, and he likes to cause trouble. He's been doing it for a very long time. Uh, just let him go cause trouble overseas. I think, it, look, as much as I don't want to see a Donald Trump presidency, having Kevin Rudd in the US for a Donald Trump second term, that's just great content. Um, and look, troublemakers, 
it's going to be great content as well. It's obviously the UK Leadership Contest, which has gotten down to its final two, uh, and that is between Richie Sunak and Liz Truss. And, look, when the billionaire is the moderate in this situation, it's not looking good for the Conservatives. Yeah, I, usually I'd be in favour of the, uh, you know, party members and the general public picking the leader. Um I don't think it's going to work out in this case. I think the Conservative members are going to go for Liz Truss, who is, uh, you know, just a female Boris Johnson, basically. Says silly things. Um, can't, couldn't run a bath, let alone a country. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's not looking good for the UK, that's for sure. Whoever wins this, I'd expect an election next year and, and them to lose. So it should only be a, a small amount of time either way. Yeah, yeah. It looks like Sunak um, isn't committing enough to to the you know the right wing agenda that they want. Not committing to tax cuts and other and, and other such things. I know, so it's not looking too great for him. Um, but trust just a a bit a bit of a joke. Um, we'll see if she's a joke that the British people like. Um, I don't know if they don't like Boris Johnson. Probably not. But you know, uh, <laughs> but looking back at twenty nineteen, you can never be too sure. Um. I think it'll be interesting. There is just still this part of me that thinks that somehow Boris Johnson is going to emerge as the leader of this party again. I'm just like, if anyone can do it, it's Boris. Like, let's be real. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. I also think that it's going to be Liz Truss, which she's a female Boris Johnson. She's possibly worse than Boris Johnson in some ways because... She kind of sort of tries to pretend occasionally to, like, be well-behaved. Boris, you, what you see is what you get. You know what's happening with him. Um, yeah, it's a dark time, but Labor's probably going to be in control very soon in Britain, um, which is interesting because of the fact that this Labor Party has looked weaker um, than it's been in previous years. But that weakness has paid off the same way that, like, Albo being, like, a normal dude paid off um, in the Australian election because it's hard for the Rupert Murdoch papers to attack, attack, attack. Yeah, I think, um, look, weakness is it's in the eye of the beholder, right? So Jeremy Corbyn, obviously, like, very strong on policy, had strong ideas about what he wanted for the UK. Obviously, they didn't translate to the people. So it doesn't matter how strong your ideas are if you're not going to be popular with the people. Keir Starmer's, you know, he's a pretty bland kind of guy. Um, obviously worked uh, as the UK's top barrister for the uh, Met Police, but apart from that, being a pretty bland kind of person, doesn't really have any bold ideas about how to run the country, but neither did Albanese and he got voted in because he, like, competent, right? That's all you want. And after Boris Johnson, people are just going to want a competent leader and a competent government. Labor's had plenty of time in opposition to figure themselves out. Keir Starmer's constantly talking to Tony Blair about how to win elections from opposition, something that maybe Jeremy Corbyn should have done a little bit more of. So, uh, yeah, I think um, the Labor Party will do pretty well over there. Yeah, and back on incompetent leaders and incompetent governments, uh, Scott Morrison again tonight. Um, and this is back to the boat situation that arose on election day that, I mean... What's about to come out is not new news by any means. It's basically the fact that he put pressure on um, the different agencies to announce this on election day and not A, announce it sooner or B, wait, um, because, you know, 
wasn't actually a real issue in a lot of ways. Um, I think that this is one of those things where it's just like it's an it's borderline a non-story because everyone knew this was exactly how it played out, but this is the confirmation that this is how it played out. Yeah, obviously it took a little bit of time to get confirmation, but we all, like, we always knew it was going to happen. Um, we talked about it on the night. We talked about it the week after and the week after that. So, yeah, Scott Morrison saying the boat was coming, not really a surprise. But the thing is, like, boats have been coming the whole time he was in government. There's a reason that Operation Sovereign Borders exists. Like, the Navy's not up there just doing nothing. They are stopping boats, turning people around, all that stuff. Whether you agree with it or not, it's another thing. I do not. It's terrible policy, obviously, but... Um, yeah, to, to publicise it on election day to try to get those last few votes, just um, grubby politics. Yeah, uh, really, really dirty, really disgusting stuff. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's just crazy, I think. Um, and uh, it's it's really disappointing that you got like a, like a prime minister doing this. Pretty much like playing with people's lives as a way to uh, exploit this general resentment of such people within the Australian populace to try to carry a few extra votes for the an election. Just, yeah, pretty, pretty gross. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad it didn't pay off because I think that enough people had voted at that point, but also just everyone was so sick of Scott Morrison that it's like, come on, Labor can't do that much worse. Um, but, yeah, it's a policy that I think we all resoundingly disagree with on this podcast, um, but that doesn't necessarily represent the plurality of the Australian population. I think there's a lot of people that are apathetic, don't care, but that apathy borderline leans towards being like, no, then the stopping the votes is a good thing, which is its own issue, is that it's like, if you're not going to care, don't care. <laughs> um don't like actually secretly lean to one side but we'll move on to what has been dominating youtube twitch even twitter a little bit recently and that is andrew tate um and in particular andrew tate versus uh leftist twitch streamer hassan piker because they had two debates last week and andrew tate got absolutely rolled in both of them um and, like, the first one was almost entirely just about whether women can drive or not. Uh, breaking news, women can drive um, pretty well sometimes as well. Um, but, yeah, Andrew Tate, what are you going to do with it? Um, he's obviously, a, like, he's a really bad guy. Jackie and I were going through uh, what is essentially a rap sheet before we started the podcast, and it is uh, long and disgusting. The, the podcast, uh, sorry, not the podcast, the debate was, I don't know, Twitch is not a great debate platform. That's kind of what I took from this. It was a lot of screaming over each other. Um, Hassan trying to give, you know, rational points and Andrew saying, no, 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 I don't believe it. That's not my experience, so it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what to do with these two. Yeah, uh, I thought, yeah, pretty pretty in interesting sort of, sort of debate there um I'm, I'm surprised that tate had hassan on in the first place but i think he was feeling a bit confident after after sort of tearing through a couple other big streamers like like xqc i think um you know sort of so sort of still feeling feeling pretty pretty hot from that so i figured he'd take on hassan um and i think this is a bit of a surprise actually because like hassan isn't really known for doing debates uh, he's not particularly good at debates either actually um <laughs> Normally, uh, <laughs> and that's that's the reason why he doesn't do them. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but he, he came in like looking like like 
pretty pretty good for this one. Like going in like pretty pretty cool, pretty calm. I uh, kept it chill throughout the the entire um like like sort of interaction. Um, and Andrew Tate just like kept getting like angrier and angrier. And I think that that looked quite good for him. I think Hassan was making like pretty pretty good points as well. Um, and uh, you know sort of keeping it um keeping quite rational. So I think this was a pretty good showing from Hassan. Um, yeah, one of uh, yeah one one of his just one of his better moments I think. Yeah, the fact that Andrew Tate had to take his headphones off in the middle of the debate to like calm himself down. Um, like that's that was point one where it was like he's lost. And then when he's going into the like, you run cool, no one likes you, you're broke, like the chat wants you gone, like that sort of stuff. It's just like you've conceded. And just the way that he whined about it afterwards with um the two guys that essentially are just there to be cheerleaders. Um was like oh you you know you've lost and you are looking for comfort um and then after like the next one because I've watched a fair bit of this content in the past week it's really bad but um the fact that he was still talking about Hassan two days later after the second debate being like oh my god he must look me up at night naked in his room and it's like what the hell are you going on about like why did you need to say this just because you've gotten absolutely rolled in a debate what you're meant to say is I won and just keep saying that you won, but move on. Don't cry about it because then you look ridiculous. But one of the points that Hassan brought up that is important and maybe has moved the needle a little bit on Andrew Tate is Hustlers University and the fact that it is a scam, in particular a pyramid scheme. Um, so if you've ever bought Tupperware or heard of the Avon lady before, you'd know what a pyramid scheme vaguely is. But with Hustlers University, essentially you're paying $50 to get into one of the courses. I don't know what the courses actually are on offer, but you can get an affiliate marketing code where you can get other people to sign up and then you get 50% of their like $50 fee. So you get $25 off every time someone signs up. Um, and so that's how you make money. And that's how Andrew Tate apparently makes $10 million. Um, and... Look, it, it at its core is a pyramid scheme, even when Andrew Tate was forced to, like, actually explain it. He, borderline, word for word, used the exact same words that, like, Herbalife uses um, as far as, like, this. It's a business opportunity. It's how you grow your money. Like, you get other people involved. And he tries to defend it by being, like, there's only 6,000 affiliates which there's no way there's so many Andrew Tate stan accounts on Twitter and on TikTok at the moment that have affiliate codes. Like those people can't just be doing, like it can't just be 6,000 people doing that at this point. Yeah. It's uh well, like it's a business model that works for him, obviously. Yeah. As you said, a scam. Um, I'm tempted to sign up though. $50 a month. I think he like that $50 might actually just be able to buy him a t-shirt, which I think he desperately needs. So uh, I might be tempted to do that after the podcast, but yeah, as you said, affiliate marketing, like affiliate marketing is a legitimate business. Like there's tons of ways to do it. You'll get a code from Amazon to sell this product and you'll get a cut of that sale, right? What he's doing is getting one person to sign up. They'll sign up another two people. They'll sign up another four people and that money all goes up the top, right? So that's uh, by definition, a triangle, a pyramid. So yeah, not great. Um, obviously making him a lot of money. I'd say he could go on a holiday, but of course he's not allowed to leave Romania because he'll be arrested straight away. So uh, yeah, not a 
I don't know. He's, he's a fraud. Pretty simple. He's just a fraud. It was very amusing how initially reticent he was to talk about it with Hassan, I think. Yeah, which it says that it like it doesn't hold water once he has to actually talk about it um, and how defensive he gets about it, which that's not surprising, that factor of it. But like not wanting to talk and being like, sign up and then you'll know what it is. Um, like that's classic pyramid scheme kind of tactics of being like, oh, you've got to join. And then like you get to learn about how you do all this sort of stuff. Um, and also just him calling Hassan broke when Hassan is like the most hated on Twitch streamer for having money. <laughs> it's just another one of those like funny little quirks. But I think that like an important thing like that's coming out of this and coming out of a little bit just of the Twitter and like, men's self-help at the moment is that this very much is reminiscent of Gamergate um, and is a little bit of a Gamergate 2.0 situation because you've got Andrew Tate, you've got the fresh and fit guys and that sort of thing that are like trying to make men feel better about themselves and co-opting this alpha beta sigma language um, as though like it means something um, to which like if you're someone that's an Andrew Tate stan or a fresh and fit stan, um, they hate you. They think you're a beta male because if you need advice um, from other dudes about how to become a, what is the, fresh and fit use high level man as their like terminology. If you need to be like a high value man and like by taking the advice from them, they don't think that you are one. They think Hassan is one because if you watch their simpy debate challenge video, um, it is very obvious that they like actually respect Hassan despite the fact that they don't like him. Um, and yeah. Like, they're just basically trying to, like, make incels treat women worse, which incels already treat women horribly. And they have no jawline. <laughs> they have no jawline. <laughs> I, I never so. thought I'd say this, but can we have Jordan Peterson back, please? Like, <laughs> his advice is terrible, but, like, at least he doesn't advocate sexual assault like Andrew Tate or the Fresh and Fit guys do. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's a look, I think where it comes from is there's a there's this idea that amongst young men that everyone has to be uh, working 900 hours a week, you have to be making heaps of money, all this kind of stuff. And these people are pushed into the, these kind of programs because that's what they're selling, right? They're selling this lifestyle where you're not going to have to work ever again. You'll make all this money, all that kind of stuff. But what it is, as you've said, Jackie, shitting on women, like, the stuff that Andrew Tate's done, the fresh and fit guys say is all gross. Um, yeah, it's marketing to incels and uh, just be a decent human being and, and life will be better for you. Yeah, and it's quite easy to market to these people. Um, so I think a lot of these people have like, been left behind in a lot of ways, you know, like, uh, you know, they don't, they don't have good, solid male role models teaching them how to uh, act in properly respectful um, and like successful ways. Um, so I have to sort of lean on these people instead. Um, and it's, it's quite sad. You know, most of them probably just need, like, therapy and, like, a, a decent job or something. And a hug. Yeah. Yeah, the way that this can go is two ways because this is very much a radicalisation of a lot of young men that could end up seeing them going down the Patriot front path, which <laughs> is just as bad, actually worse, because they get up to other criminal stuff as well. Um, or they could end up learning from what's happening and seeing some of the outrage and some of the actual conversations that are happening, not the screaming at them and calling them disgusting conversations. 
um, and go, hang on, this is actually a really fucked up mentality. Like, I, I don't see it happening quickly. Um, it's not like you get laid and your entire opinions on the world change. Um, but at the same time, at some point, like the women in their life that they do have some level of value over, like their mothers and their sisters, um, are going to start like sitting them down and having conversations if they realise that they are acting like this because a lot of this is behind screens and they couldn't actually act like that in person. But I think that the other question with this debate and just with the amount of like people that are now coming after the fresh and fit guys coming after Andrew Tate is, is there any value in actually platforming these people by debating them? Um, I'm of the opinion of yes, but I'd rather hear your guys' takes before I have my take. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I think so. I think um, especially Andrew Tate, you have to call out like what is a, a scam, right? Like if it's going to stop five people joining this and ruin, like wasting money, then it's worth calling out. The Fresh and Fit guys, I've only seen one interview with them and that was with Kyle and Jackie O. And my main takeaway there was if you're making Kyle Sanderlands feel disgusted, then you're probably not on the right side of things. So yeah, probably those two I'd probably leave alone, but definitely like calling out scams, all that kind of thing is is definitely important. Yeah, I mean, like like, like platforming. I mean, like they're they're pretty big creators, right? Yeah. I'm, it's 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 not like they're being raised up in any way, really. Um, they're yeah, as, as Rory said, it's more of a call out of like someone in in a, in a higher position most of the time. Um, yeah, in the first place, I think um, a lot of deplatforming arguments, while well intentioned, um, come from a a place of to you know to get a, to get a little philosophical. I think they come from a place of almost like, like epistemic arrogance, where I think there's an assumption that there is like like a like a correct knowledge or something, um, and that we should um, and that we we uh, that, and that people that um, need to be deplatformed they simply lack an awareness of the correct knowledge. Um, and I think like you know people who who are deplatformed they probably do spread misinformation. They do rely on um, on on irrational ways of thinking. Um, but like, I think that should also be like shown a little bit because I don't think we should allow ourselves to be like to become complacent and to not have to uh, like be able to like actually actually mount responses to things that might challenge like a lot of the things that we we like preconceive almost. I feel like it's it's useful to have people challenge that sometimes to ensure that we can actually like continue to defend um, ourselves like ourselves and like our philosophies against like challenges that would seek to essentially like make the, make the world worse which i think which i think andrew tate does by spreading this sort of misinformation so i, I want us to be able to actually uh, respond to philosophies like these that, that, that like challenge our own sort of you know egalitarian um not um not sort of rapey philosophies i suppose yeah i think there's there's two sides of it um for people like fresh and fit that have lost a lot of the clout that they had initially I don't think that there's a lot of value in extending their platform um Andrew Tate is a whole different beast he's in a similar kind of space as like some of the other right-wing idiots are at the moment but like Andrew Tate doesn't have a Twitter doesn't I think doesn't have a Facebook he might have an Instagram account um he's using other people's Twitch platforms currently like he's not using Hassan's platform he's using people that want to host him and that sort of thing, and then subsequently debating other Twitch streamers. Um, And ultimately, the value in debating these people isn't about convincing them that they're wrong. It's about 
letting their audience become more informed and see the other side that isn't preachy and screaming at them. It's actually calmly explaining it. And that's what we kind of saw out of these Hassan debates is there was actually evidence on Google um, to see that people were looking up Hustlers University scam following these debates um, and other things like that, which is helpful um, to the movement. But also additionally, like if you can convince even a handful of people to go, hang on a second, like now that this is rationally being explained by someone that I would respect just based on like their appearance and how they conduct themselves, um, this is fucked up. Maybe I shouldn't be listening to this guy because someone else that like actually like seems to embody like what this guy is saying doesn't agree with it and is explaining it in a way that isn't like my feelings are more important than facts because (laughs) what we said at the start is that like Andrew Tate goes off his own experiences and like that sort of thing which borderline I would like to see Ben Shapiro debate him and try to pull out the facts don't care about your feelings card because oh boy that'll be too like one of facts don't care about your feelings but I feel this way and it's just it would be a very annoying debate but I would also find it absolutely hilarious um Andrew Tate's going to have a platform so long as 6,000 people keep promoting him on Twitter and TikTok, basically. Um, he'll, he'll drop off eventually. He'll end up becoming like Miley Yiannopoulos, quite possibly. Um, maybe less ex-gay Christian kind of things, but, you know, Milo's, Milo fell off. Andrew Tate will eventually fall off, fall off, and someone just as bad, if not worse, will replace him. Uh, yeah, I think Milo fell off. I think Andrew Tate will end up in prison. I think like the, the stuff he's done and these scams, it's got to catch up to him eventually, right? Um, that's where he belongs and it's where hopefully he'll end up. But we'll move on to our typical every week segments, uh, starting with gaps of the week. And our contestant this week is Bill Shorten and just the whole birthing parent dilemma. Um it's probably the dumbest scandal Labor's been in for a while um, and is based on the fact that someone cracked it overseeing birthing parent instead of mother on a medical form. Um, I don't know. I've got takes. I'm sure you guys have got takes. Do you want to go first? Yeah, my take here is that this stuff, like I've said it before, the language stuff you're never going to win on. Um, you kind of get trapped between uh, the right and the left on this, no matter which way you go. Um, it's not gonna gonna work out. What I would have like, they should just continue what's already happened under the previous government. I think that's probably the best best thing to do. Making changes doesn't help. So, yeah, just leave it as it was. As birthing parent, is the language perfect? No. Is the language going to be perfect anyway? You do it, probably not. So, I think you've got to um, hedge your bets a little bit and just take what you can and and try to like, yeah, this stuff doesn't win you any support. So. Just um, leave it alone as much as you can. Um, yeah, uh, yeah uh, all pretty pretty stupid stuff. Um, I mean, obviously, like, like birthing parent, I think there's utility in that term, right? Because uh, there's a, there's a, there's a parent who births, but like there might you know that they there might be like multiple mothers or something as well. So it's not really useful to like say like mother. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's all pretty pretty stupid. And I, I saw the uh, I guess the person still leading the complaints. Um, and they they seem to be exactly the sort of person that I expected. Um, I think uh, I think there are some people who are I don't know maybe like a bit too insecure in their motherhood or something where they feel like there has to be some 
you know, some like kind of acknowledgement of like them being like a mother specifically um, and like the struggles that come with that. But I don't think this denies any sort of like mother's struggle or anything. I think it's just, it's literally just like accurate language, I, I think. Um, I don't know, but people are always going to get annoyed about that sort of thing. Um, yeah, but I don't even think it's like PC either, really. I think it's, it's just like a helpful term to have. So just a stupid, uh, a, a stupid affair in its entirety. Yeah, I take issue with the word parent more than I take issue with the word birthing in this. Um, I think that like there could be a way to frame this as like the person that's pregnant because yes, you've got the whole, the fact that there could be two mothers because it could be a lesbian couple. Um, it could be someone that is a trans man giving birth. It could be someone that's non-binary giving birth. But it also could be someone that is a surrogate that is not actually biologically related to the child, um, isn't going to have a part in the child's life, but they're the person that is carrying the child. Um and that is important data that shouldn't be necessarily listed as parent. I, to me, it's a non-issue, realistically. Birthing parents, fine. Um, pregnant person's fine. Mother is also fine. It's just outdated terminology. Um, I, but at the same time, like, if you're getting praised by Catherine Deves, which Bill Shorten was, you're on the wrong side of this. Um, and I get that it's pick your battles on Labor's part and on Shorten's part, but also at the same time birthing parent isn't hurting anyone that isn't deeply insecure in their own motherhood um and if you are just cross out birthing parent on the form and write mother um i've seen people do dumber stuff on medical forms and then post it online like just do it no one cares no one's no one in the hospital is actually going to take notice of that <laughs> yeah and there's like if you go through all these uh, forms that Medicare use, there's going to be plenty of uh, words or terminologies that don't apply to you, uh, no matter what you do. So I think um, just make it work as much as you can. Uh, maybe child carrier is the best uh, compromise that would uh, that kind of encompasses what the what the role is. But yeah, as I said, I wouldn't have changed anything. I just just leave it as it is. Try to make it a non-story. It's just more cultural stuff that. Um, you know, it doesn't really affect what the government's doing. Yeah, if they're worried about accuracy, then, I mean, like, why isn't there a big campaign about uh, calling it a last name when uh, in, in certain Asian cultures, the, the last name is, is the first name? Um, yep. You know, that's, that's, that seems probably like a, like a more uh, predominant issue than this, I feel, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think that just Shorten and Labor in general would have been in a better position to have just ignored it. It would have gone away. It was a non-issue in the first place. Um, they've made it an issue. They've pissed off part of their base. They've definitely pissed off the Greens. Um, and, hey, you ignore it in two years' time. No one even remembers that this was a thing. In two years' time, people might still remember this and be like, hang on a second, like, Labor can claim they're for this and that. But when, like, the first time they were told to, like, step up, they didn't. But we're going to move on to please explain. Uh, and it's actually just more turf nonsense to start off with because uh, on the women's... Hold on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> on the Women's March Twitter account, uh, they used a silhouette of a profile of someone with a very straight bridge on their nose. Uh, and so naturally... Turfs freaked out and said that it was a man and it was promoting the trans agenda and all this other nonsense. And in particular, we're like, 
they put a man silhouette in front of two women silhouettes because the other two silhouettes in this profile picture have more upturned noses. Um, and the ironic part of it is, is not only is it transphobic, but it's also quite racist because uh, people of colour typically do have straight bridge noses and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's not like something to even actually comment on in that sort of thing. It is just a weird point to like freak out over of being like this specific nose is a masculine nose when it's not. If they hadn't have like made a mention of it, I don't think anyone would have noticed. <laughs> yeah, if, if you care about anything this much, then um, just chill out a little bit. Like the nose that's on a face on a, on a logo is not important to anyone. Um, people like humans look different pretty simple um, no one cares what's on a logo at the end of the day so yeah just getting riled up about pretty much nothing a lot of people with a lot of time on their hands it looks like yeah touch grass go to therapy <laughs> have a hug <laughs> I, the funniest part about this is one of the people that were leading the charge of like freaking out over it has a near identical nose to the silhouette like her side profile is very similar. And so naturally people clowned on her, which it's a little bit, it's funny. I'm not going to lie. But also that kind of clowning does come across still as like semi-transphobic. So I think that it's unnecessary. It's just one of those like funny ironies because they've obsessed over this for like the whole weekend. And it's just like, who cares? doesn't matter it's a silhouette um but something that does matter and is also very funny is john barillaro former new south wales deputy premier got into a little bit of a scuffle with a cameraman outside outside of a uh, restaurant or maybe it was a bar um over the weekend and look it wasn't friendly geordie's team for once um but Johnny's not very happy. Uh, went on Ben Fordham the next morning um, and basically had a sook about how he's been getting stalked and harassed, which isn't good, mind you, that's not good. Um, but that he's a private citizen and he's finally breaking his silence, which I don't think John Barillaro has ever shut up in his life. But also, and this is where I take issue, I don't think former pol politicians are private citizens or are entitled to the same sort of, like, treatment that the average person is um in the sense of they have a public platform and they have power the same way that celebrities do just because you're not in office doesn't mean you're not a person of influence and you're also a very relevant media story in new south wales currently john <laughs> yeah i think it's the relevance that's the the issue there um like once this dies down in a couple of years time he'll be able to go to restaurants and do all that kind of thing that he wants to do without being uh, confronted if it was friendly Geordies and those two got in a fight I really don't know what side I'd be rooting for um, but yeah Barilaro is a pretty silly kind of guy right um, and the thing is like and the issue for him is that he hasn't shut up as you said and that's kept this in the news cycle and it's going to keep in the news cycle he just needs to lay low I don't know New York's pretty nice maybe you go up there and uh, just take some time off and and chill out and then come back when everything's died down a little bit once again, another another person on this podcast probably needs a bit of therapy. Yeah, Definitely. I mean, he was like goading New South Wales Labor to like drag him into their um upper house and like 
grill him over what's going on. And I'm like, this is like, you're poking the bear because you're essentially assuming that they're not going to do it by saying like, hurry up and do it already. Like, do you, it's the same way of like, you don't really want to piss off lawyers. Um, you do that and you end up in a world of hurt because they do just attack you in the ways that are going to cause you to trip up. Um, it's funny, Barilara going not going to New York um, because of this and then having to take a little holiday to New York would be extra funny. Um, but also just, as you guys have said, it, it's going to die down eventually. Um, but right now, you can't go out for a few beers and apparently pizza with your friends, which, I mean, he got so offended over, like, Italian jokes and then does that. And I'm just like, dude, just say you went out for, like, schnitzel or something. Come on. <laughs> like, don't play into the stereotype that you got pissed off about previously. Yeah. Um, like, someone should let him know that you can get pizza delivered to your house now. Maybe that's the answer for him. Yeah. I mean, he's got a pretty nice house. Um, and then we've got... Manly Sea Eagles and the NRL because Manly, uh, the club that is, is uh, has unveiled a inclusive jersey, which feels like a pride jersey just because there's rainbows on it and also a very prominent betting ad. Um, and as a result, seven players have decided that they don't want to play um, because, look, they're scared of rainbows, basically, um, and the connections that rainbows have. I know that there is some level of citing religious reasons, but at the same time, this is a mess of a situation. Um, as this story has gotten released on Monday, it is three days out before they play. Um, and seven players have said that they are not going to play on Thursday night. Yep. Um, NRL players have simulated sex with dogs. They've um, drunk their own urine. They've beaten people in America without any kind of any reason to do so, but oh no, we can't have a rainbow on our jersey. That would be the end of the day. It's just you know ridiculous. Uh, Manly have people in their team who have beaten their wives, but they're not going to worry about that. They worry about a, a, what is it like a tiny strip of rainbow on their jersey. So yeah, it's just I don't know religious intolerance once again. The good news is that all of the uh, all of the jerseys have sold out. So. The fans have got behind it, obviously. Uh, it's not representative of the club. I, I wish the coach, Des Hasler, was a little bit stronger in this and came out and said, it's like, we back this 100%. He hasn't. He said he's backed his players, which I guess as a coach you have to do, but um, it's not great leadership. Yeah, I, I just I just looked up the jersey then. It's it's so so not visible. The, the, yeah, as, as you said, the big thing that really sticks out to you is the is the betting ad right in the middle that takes up like most of the the center of the jersey? It's interesting that they've decided to raise religious objections to uh, to the little sort of rainbow lines uh, rather than the big betting ad on them. Because I mean, you know, gambling it's it's a sin in Islam for for in many other religions. It's not completely a sin in Christianity, but like get rich quick schemes, sort of the uh, and and uh, an intense love of money. Um, the, these are yeah, pretty pretty explicitly forbidden within within Christianity. So I don't know. I feel like I'd feel so much more gross wearing like a gambling ad on me than, than I ever possibly could wearing like some rainbows on me. Yeah, I, it's a good looking jersey, like in the grand scheme of things, because of how subtle it is. I think that that's the gambling ad is obviously not subtle, but the rainbow being subtle and 
a little bit like yes it's out of place but you're also like oh that's like it's less in your face um than other pride round jerseys have been in other sports and I just I go are you really going to risk your career and your reputation on a little rainbow strip because some of these players are going to have ruined their careers this sport is only going to get more inclusive as time goes on um, I know that Israel Folau probably feels pretty indignant right now because his homophobia is not okay, but these guys' homophobia apparently is okay, um, to which I say tough titties. But it's just, again, like over and over again, we see this with like someone's like, oh, I don't want to wear this jersey. And then it's like, okay, well, you're not only going to miss this week, you're going to miss like two or three weeks at least. Um, and that's probably what the club could do is actually stand these players down for a small period of time, they're not necessarily going to miss finals, but they still could. Um, And if they miss finals because they lose to the Roosters this weekend, how stupid are these seven players going to look because they let a bunch of kids run out on the field instead of them when they are in their top flight of players? Like, this isn't a sports pod. This is a politics pod. But at the same time, it's just like, this is career ruining stuff over a rainbow. Um, you can stick to your morals, that's fine, but also you don't stick to the Bible 99% of the time. Like this one issue in the Bible that you actually care about. Yeah, and just on the, the jerseys, the mixing of um different fabrics for clothing is a sin in the Bible. Um, these shirts are not like they're not just cotton, so that's a sin in itself. Um, it's just you know, it's contradictory. But, it's just, uh, yeah, it's terrible, I don't know, just bad morals at the end of the day. If something doesn't affect you, you shouldn't have to, to worry about it at all. Uh, but these guys, you know, this is their number one thing to worry about this week. Yeah. Um, it's been a weekend in rugby league news, but this has been the worst thing from it. And it's also how we're going to end the pod tonight because... It's been a little bit of a mix-up this evening. We've had a few shorter stories, um, so we hope that you've stuck with us. But, Rory, Joel, would you like to share your social media handles? Yeah, at Rory underscore Dennis. Uh, Joel WW on Twitter. And I'm Dodzy161 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. This has been Edge of the Election. You can find us at Edge Election Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Edge of the Election is part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd at Edge of the Crowd on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, pretty much anywhere on social media. You can also read any of our articles, be they sport, politics, or culture at www.edgeofthecrowd.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.